Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Welcome back to the Unlaced podcast. Um, as mentioned in previous episodes, we love running these sessions with some of the best athletes, some of the most interesting athletes in and around sport um, that we can get hold of. And obviously we want to get to understand them more and the in-depth p- perspectives that they have. So um, fortunate enough here today that I've got a, a good friend of mine, Mitch Creek, one of the NBL superstars where we go we go quite a way back, but um, glad to have you in, Creaky. How you, how you going, mate? I'm going well, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's something that's probably been in the making for a while now. It has. Uh, considering how far back our paths do cross. <laughs> um, yeah, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, man. I was, we were just speaking off air, but it was 2009 or 2010 we're at the AS together. Yeah. It feels like a world ago. Which like, is ridiculous. Yeah. It feels like we're back in the stone age then. Yeah. Um, at the time, we didn't really have a lot to do with each other. We knew each other through yeah. various friends and whatnot and uh, uni pub with the $2 vodkas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's about as far <laughs> as we, we yeah. Um, so yeah, great memories there, yeah. but, um, you know, to cross paths now and knowing what we've both done with our lives on and off the, you know, off our fields and, yeah. and courts is, uh, it's pretty spectacular, man. It's, it is, it's pretty surreal. And even like, I actually followed you from afar well, up close really when I was playing in Adelaide, you were in Adelaide too, which I want to, I want to touch on, but, um, First off, I want to say congrats, man, being a part of the um, Olympic squad, a selected squad for, for Tokyo. How, how does that feel for you? Yeah, look, I, I was fortunate enough to make the previous Olympic squad. I was in the, you know, the, the, the last kind of 24, I think it was. I, was. I was to be picked in that and then didn't make it through. I didn't fancy myself a chance in that team at all. Uh, I didn't think I was mentally or physically prepared enough or have the skill set enough. But now I feel like I'm in a position where... I do have a chance. Um, it may be my only chance and, and hoping and fingers crossed that Tokyo does even go ahead right, yeah. is the biggest kind of question mark everyone's got on their on their minds. But to be named in, in a squad that represents your country, which is your hometown, your family, your loved ones, the circle that help you and build you up to who you are in that present moment in your life to be there, that's the best thing you can think about when you get that nomination. So to be in that list of players with such great talent, yeah. um, it's... It's hard to put into words because it's just a surreal feeling. You kind of sit there at first and you're like, holy shit, like, yeah. look at the names here. Yeah. This is this is bananas to think that my name's in this list. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Because I feel like there's a real excitement for the boomers in general right now, but obviously with the Olympics coming up, particularly with the brewing young group of players we have coming through the NBA and the top flight in the NBL, the combination of both is just like a really exciting time. Obviously, there's a bunch of whole other players from the NBA that are going to be joining. Thibault, you mentioned one um, from, from Simmons' team, the 76ers. But even just the NBL talent that we have now um, that have had NBA experience and like top flight experience, it's, it's super exciting, man. Um, and I think one, one thing I was keen to speak of, and it's just coming back to the basketball program at the AIS, which is that still running? Yeah, it's, it's the center of excellence. Okay. Um, when I left... Uh, Marty Clark was there. He went to Adelaide. I ended up getting picked up by Adelaide, went right. to Ian Stacker, then Adam Caporn. And now it's in such great hands and there's such great teams there that they've built guys into to NBA prospects, to first round draft picks, Crazy. to, you know, guys are getting picked up consistently now. And Australia is not just on the map for basketball. It's on the map for NBA basketball every yeah. single draft year. So yeah. you've got guys that have come into the NBL and, and been stars. Um, Mojave King, Giddy. 
you know, other guys that have come through and are still coming through now. It's a program that's like, it's developed far beyond what I think it has in the past. But even saying that, when we were there, you had guys like your Bogut's, your Della Vadovas, yeah. Paddy Mills, Joe Ingles, the list goes on and on and on. You yeah. know, Brockoff, like all these guys were there. Yeah, man. You, you, you go through the list and you're yeah, like, holy it's, it's shit, crazy. I tell people, I'm like, man, I was rooming like above Della Vadova when he was like winning the championship. I'm like, yeah, he was like, he was, he was at the AAS. I'm like, the AAS is an unbelievable institution for basketballers. Like when I used to walk down the halls and see... Uh, particularly walking into the basketball arenas, like the previous players that were there. And I'm like, oh, really? Like what? Yeah. Ingles, Mills, Bogut were like all in the same kind Pretty of Pretty much squad anyone that's been in the NBA or played at EuroLeague level have been to the Institute of Sport. Yeah. Not, I, I don't know many off the top of my head that well that you would say, well, he never went there or he never made that. Yeah. You know, I think a notable name in the NBL is Nathan Sobey. Yeah. Didn't have Victoria selection, you know, warnable kid. Wow. Didn't really have any of that coming up with the national program or, you know, Institute of Sport. And he's now the MVP of the league, in my opinion. That's crazy. It's, it's crazy that there's not many people you can actually say that about. And he's yeah. one of those guys. So it's few and far between. A lot of the guys that are in big roles in teams have gone through that program and had that extra attention, the knowledge, the skill set development, the recovery, nutrition, you know, the mental side of things. Yeah. All of that teaching accumulates little bits over long periods of time Correct. make huge gains. And that's where the Institute separates itself from just being a regular basketballer, you know, in Horsham Man. or, you know, in Ballarat or in Melbourne, in one of the, you know, Diamond Valley or yeah. Knox, no matter where you are, there's a difference in what you learn and who you're around every single day. And Correct. that's the biggest contributing factor. Yeah. I felt that was like a point of difference at the AIS was like, yeah, it's great. I'm with an elite because I was obviously there for soccer. I'm with elite soccering group of, of players but the actual atmosphere and facilities of the AAS is like, you can't really compare that to anywhere in the world because you've got the best, um, the best professionals in each of their fields, not just athletes. Like we've got the sports medicine, um, coaching, like chefs, um, they're all combining in the one space. It was just like an energetic place of like talent and success. And you looked around and you had world champions. Yeah. You had gold medalists. You had Commonwealth games medalists. You had people who were setting world records. Yeah. And you kind of wake up and you, you shortcut a day, you half ass something yeah. and you're like, shit, like I, I really better pick my game up because yeah. I'm eating next to, you know, Kyle Chalmers who just set a, an Olympic world record. Yeah, like, like yeah. literally. I better start bloody pushing yeah. myself a little bit harder here. <laughs> yeah. um, but you're right. You can't, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And at that level, you have to make a decision. Like, am I going to be mediocre at something and just apply myself 50, 60, 70, 80% of the time? Yeah. Or am I really going to dive in the deep end and say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice some of the parties, I'm going to sacrifice the birthdays, the family yeah. occasions, the holidays, the vacations, and I'm going to do my strict eating. I'm going to work on my diet. I'm going to work on my health and my, my mindset training and my ability to be resilient mm. under pressure, you know, to apply yourself physically and mentally every day. Yeah. So do study hall as yeah, much as man. we all hate it. <laughs> oh, study hall. Study the curse, hall, man. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was in study hall a lot, man. Were you four nights a week or two nights a week? Depending was, which course you were doing, eh? Tertiary I was, or accredited? I was four. Oh, uh, that's legit, man. I was doing my study at, as well as my schooling as well because I wasn't great at school and I missed quite a few subjects because I dropped yeah. out at the end of year 10 to do mechanical engineering. So ah, okay. I had to make it up by doing extra study. So yeah. I kind of rinsed myself study there. Study hall for all the listeners at the AAS was essentially two hours a night, four nights a week that you would have to go in and do your homework because we had limited time to get to school and limited time to actually finish off the schooling or the homework we had. So after those long days of training, 
you had two hours to give it at night. And, and it kind of does build in a little bit to my next question, because you have sacrificed a lot. You mentioned like being a Horsham boy for one. And if you look at your career journey thus far, you've obviously had to leave a lot of situations and people behind. And now you're into a new opportunity, a new franchise in the Southeast Phoenix, which is, is, is this its second season second year, yep. with, with obviously the COVID stuff, but I mean, what's that, what's that been like for you to be a part of a new franchise from its inception? Yeah, look, to touch on being away at such a young age, you do give up so much yeah. and people don't understand. They just look at you now and say, oh, cool. You get to be a franchise player. You get to captain a team. You get to play for Australia. You get to play in the NBA. How good is that? You live a sick life. Well, you don't know. <laughs> you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes, mate. You yeah. know, people are so quick to judge and jump online and type a comment and say, you're shit, you're this, you suck, go die, like quit. Yeah. And you're like, do you actually know how much I've sacrificed? the pain I've gone through, the injuries, the setbacks, just to get to the point to have a chance to be yeah. successful or to yeah. be in the right stadium in front of the right coach to be selected. Yeah. Now, when I got asked to play for Southeast Melbourne, I basically jumped at the opportunity. One, I went from Adelaide being an MVP. I went in Adelaide when I was young. Yeah. At 18, I got signed. And I was the shittest player on the roster <laughs> by, by a mile. <laughs> I was trash. Yeah. I walked in and saw you know, uh, Adam Ballinger, Jacob Holmes, who's now, you know, the CEO of the Players Association, you know, he was in there shooting threes and he's like 6'10", like double, double machine shooting threes. And I was like, I can't even make a three. I'm just <laughs> a skinny kidding. athletic 18 year old that was pretty much banking on athleticism and being just able to raw. finish and just raw talent. Yeah. But that gave me the ability to learn. And then all of a sudden you look so far ahead, you leave as an MVP, you go overseas, you try and do your thing there then the ability to come up and be a franchise guy, you're like, well, that's kind of everything I've worked towards. You don't really plan to be that guy, but you're just like, let's just see where the chips fall and where my hard work gets me. Now you have guys like Tommy Greer who comes in and, and says, hey, look, you know, me and Simon Mitchell are putting a team together. We want you to front run that. Mm. We want to build around you. What do you think about that? You turn into it and you go, well, yeah, that'd be great. So, <laughs> yeah. Cool. What, what do you need me to do? Like, <laughs> this, do is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but with that comes a lot of pressure. Yeah, of course. Um, not just being a franchise guy, but being a captain, someone that people turn to, to say, Hey, I need you to be a leader. Mm. No matter what happens, it kind of gets pointed in my direction. If we win, you know, they go, Oh, great job. But it's not you. It's the team. Yeah. You lose. And it's like, oh, that's your fault. You know, there's stress between players and coaches and coaches and myself or whatever comes up in the world of sport and professionalism. You have to deal with those things. You have communication with high performance, with staff, with the playing group. You've got to kind of sit in the middle and kind of play devil's advocate because you want to try and make sure your team's flourishing on all, you know, and firing on all cylinders. Everyone's, you know, successful. But then as a coaching side of things, you need to be the voice that kind of can rebound what everyone needs and find a happy middle. Mm. So there is a lot that goes into it. And as you say, there's a lot of sacrifice, but to be in that position, it's kind of like, well, this is what you play for. That's the whole, yeah. This is, you know, this is why you get paid well. This is why you put in that time earlier on in your career to learn these things. So you can, you know, mitigate any hard challenging situations and go, you know what? That's water for ducks back Yeah. for someone else that might cripple them and they may not be able to play consistently or even at all. Mm. But for you, it's kind of like a, you get little, oh, what's that? And yeah, then you yeah. brush it off and you keep moving and navigating way through ways to try and find success. So I think that's the biggest thing right now is just trying to navigate your way through to try and find success however the way you can. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty cool because I, I feel like in basketball, it's, it's unique in the sense of 
there always is kind of a guy, a go-to guy. And we do have a lot of people that listen um, from the NBL and, and basketball fans that are listening. So you're probably aware of Creaky's dominance in the NBL for a long time. But you are one of the, the most talented and most gifted players in the NBL and who are performing probably weekly, um, every game consistently. I mean, your stats this year are pretty, pretty phenomenal. I was having a look before and like, he's in the top few of every kind of category, <laughs> which is a compliment to you. But it is interesting how you say like, you weren't always that. Um, but, but it is, there, there, there is a saying like pressure is a privilege and, and being put in that position for you must be like super satisfying, but being a part of a new club and having that responsibility must be yeah, pretty surreal. And, and it seems like from the outside, and I'd love to get your commentary on, like, it seems like from the outside, building a new club in anything is quite difficult, but it's something that the Phoenix seem to have done quite well. Yeah, look, they have, we, we try to come in day one and everyone has the, the cloud board and you go, oh, let's all, let's be resilient. Let's be tough. Let's do it together. And you have all these cliche bullshit words that everyone writes up and you waste three hours doing it and everyone leaves and goes, that was the biggest waste of time. Like yeah. what were the things? And we actually wanted to go in and say, yeah, we want those things. We wanted heart. You know, what does that stand for? You know, what is, what is each letter? What are the pillars that we want to build this, this club on? What's the foundation? What are we okay with? What are we not okay with? If you walk into our club, what, what is the staple? Yeah. What's the benchmark that we say anything less than that? you can piss off and walk out that door, mate. Yeah. You know, I'm going to challenge you. And that's where we, we've got to pretty quickly. Yeah. And we've built ourselves a great team year one. We came in, we made a few changes. We've got some excellent guys. In year two, now we're a different beast. Now the whole league's grown. The whole league's deep. Yeah, Every week man. you're like, holy shit, I got to go and play against five studs. Yeah. yeah. And then two great imports. Yeah. And then you got bench guys and you got great coaches and you're like, well, there's no night off now. Yeah. There's not an easy team that you go and you go, oh, probably going to beat them this week. You know, we can probably just, you know, fart ass around. Can't have that. You know, every day has to be, how did we get better today? How are we going to get better tomorrow? And how can we maximize our potential to give ourselves a chance to be a winning team? Yeah. Um, one game's not enough. Yeah. You know, being a, a 600 team isn't enough now. Like you can't just be 14 and 14 and maybe scrape in. You're going to have to dominate some teams. And for me right now, to be someone that gets to build that, have guys come in like your Brockoffs and, you know, your Cam Glidden's, your Tarangis, you get to say, hey, look, this is sick. Like yeah. this is what we got going on here. Be a part of it. And we're growing something really special. So in the next couple of years, I'm really excited to see what we continue to do. But hopefully this year, yeah. I believe that we're good enough to really make ourselves into the finals and, and kind of hopefully, you know, the next step from there. Man. But, you know, right now it's about getting there and, and trying to find camaraderie and getting everyone healthy. And once we do that, we'll be a very dangerous team. I can't imagine you just like, you want to win now and you want to win as much as you can. So like, how do you balance that out? Because you're trying to win a championship, but at the same time you're assessing like the process of this new club and where they're at. Yeah. I think Adelaide was a culmination of having a core group for a long period of time, finding pieces that came in and out and you say, that kind of works, that kind of doesn't. That kind of works, that kind of doesn't. And all of a sudden you find, oh, I've got seven center pieces. You know, it's like doing a puzzle. You need all your outside pieces first. No one works for the inside out. If you do, you're a psychopath. So we now are at a point where we've got all the pieces. We just need to get everyone on the same page consistently for 40 minutes. Now we've been pretty close in a couple of games, but then there's also those games where you're down 20 at halftime. Some days you've got a big watermelon and the other day you've got a grape. <laughs> and you're like, how, how does that, that work? work? You're like, where did, the, where did the watermelon go? I want the watermelon back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want the big, the big successful piece of fruit. Yeah. So all of a sudden you sit there and you go, well, how do I get this more often than not? Mm. 
that's the battle that every team goes through. 100%. And for me, I just want to win. I want to be a competitor every single possession. I want to dominate my opponent. I don't want to be nasty about it, but I want to be relentless and ruthless. Yeah. And there's a difference. And I'm not trying to be a dick by saying that, but it is just one of those things. You want to demoralize your competition. So when it comes up to that next game, they know they're in for a fight. Yeah. They know you're going to walk out there, punch them straight in the nose and say, we're here. Let's play. Let's yeah. see who's better. Yeah. Now, other guys in the league are like that as well. I think Jock Landale has done a great job of being the guy that drives Melbourne's force forward. Yeah. He's come out and said, we're going to be undefeated. Yeah. Now, they haven't been undefeated. But credit to him, he's given his team that life. Yeah. Oh, shit. Our best player is saying that we're going to be undefeated. And his actions speak more than his words do. Yeah. And that's what you want from teams. So you got to push your team to that point. Every team has that in different ways. Some vocalize it more in the media. Some don't. Some do it internally at training. I want to try and push guys every day. I want to help the guys that aren't even playing to be as good as they can be because the better they are, they, the more they push our, our bench guys or our starters or, or our whole team. When you get everyone pushing each other in the right direction, you become a freight train essentially. Mm. And anything in your road, you want to try and dismantle. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. You know, we're not there yet, but we're getting close. One, two, three, four, five, up and down the court. Stop. Oh, wow. I mean, maybe do that three times. Oh, wow. And that's all we did. And then they're like, okay, guys, break, play. Oh, <laughs> it's no. like, Holy shit. Oh, no. So I finished that game. The next day, my Achilles was on fire. Oh, I, I ended up re-aggravating an old injury. And I was, for the next six weeks, I was melt, like monitoring an injury. And it was, it was actually hurting me quite a lot. Yeah. You know, you mask those things. But that's sometimes where it's at. Mm. All preseason, we had no time to do it. We weren't allowed to. Where every other state aside from Victoria was allowed to play in seasons, have fans to games, see friends and family. And we're in ISO frozen Antarctica jail yeah. in Melbourne. It, that's what it felt like. So when you get to the season, you go, I'm going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. Like these guys are unreal. Like guys are improving, you know, DPs are playing big minutes. You know, you've got guys that are getting injured now because of so many games and there's such a, a different length of season, mental fatigue wears on the body. We all know that the brain, you know, leads the body and the body follows. Yeah. So now guys are a little mentally drained, I think, and there's a few more injuries going on. So what I'd like to see is the teams that have got those deeper rosters, it's great to see those young guys stepping up because those guys have improved as well. They've put in a lot of time and hard work, but we all do the same thing. And you'll think you're going to be fantastic until everyone else steps up and kicks your ass. And you're like, well, I'm not as good as I thought, yeah. <laughs> you know? but you've just got to keep pursuing that greatness, pursuing the development and the, you know, the mental strength it takes to find yourself in a situation where you're expecting an outcome and you don't get it. Yeah. How do you react to that? And then how do you kind of persevere and navigate a way to finding, you know, a positive outcome out of that situation? That's where development really comes into play. And that's something that I think I've done a great job of this season so far. Yeah. Cause, um, as you meant, as you mentioned that, and I'm just thinking of like how obviously basketball is one of the biggest sports in, in the world period, but in, in Australia it's growing. And I think the inception of, sorry, not the inception, but the development of players like Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton, when they were out here, put some, put some more noise on the NBL and now the coverage across probably the globe and in, in other parts of the world are getting, it's getting more respect and more. I guess viewers, in the sense of there's a, there's a real opportunity for players to go there and play pro um, before they go into the NBA. Do you think that has helped the NBL grow um, in a sense and get more recognition for the skill set? Yeah, without a players? doubt. Having Lamelo here, having RJ here, he's got a lot of coverage since you know going in with like overtime and a bunch of other kind of 
media companies having all that hype, having Lamelo's family here, yeah. uh, his brother's success, you know, some of the antics they've had in the social media world yeah. and his father. It's great. He's a great businessman. He's, his father's done a great job of all his boys and, you know, credit to Lamelo. He came in and he silenced a lot of haters and a lot of critics. Yeah. And then he went to the NBA and people were like, he's not going to be that good. And he's an absolute weapon. Yeah, he's rookie of the year almost, like leading right now. It's know? yeah, it's it's absurd to think that he hasn't and those guys haven't pushed this league to new levels. So I think the NBL's done a great job of marketing Australia to be what it is. But then us in general as players in this league and Australians and Americans and European guys that are coming in, we're proving that this league's such a tough league to come and play in. Yep. Guys that have been in the NBA that are coming back that don't dominate. Yeah. You know, guys that are in, you know, you know, good stretches and guys are in a bit of slumps. Mm. You think guys are going to come in and be absolute stars and they're not. Mm. That's the difference between the NBL and, you know, what the reality is here and what some people's expectations are. I think the league's probably the best league outside you yeah. know, the NBA. Yeah. I'd like to argue that with most people. Now, some higher level EuroLeague teams have got six imports, like Correct. give us six imports and yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll do the same thing. But even with our top Australian teams, I think we push those teams and even beat those teams. So yeah. our style of play is really hard to play with. The, de the defensive schemes that we play with as well is different to America and Europe. So, you know, it's one of those things. You come here and you've got to play. You've got to be ready. You've got to have a good skill set. You've got to be tough. You've got to be fit. You've got to be able to do everything. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to kind of sit at the end of the bench and not really play a whole lot. And we've seen that time and time again with guys coming into the league. Is it fair to say, though, that the NBL has always kind of been like that? It's just getting more recognition? Or do you actually think it's developed? No, um, it's developed past, a lot. Yeah, it really has developed a lot. Okay. You know, the quality of Americans has always been great. But it feels like the guys we've got now uh, are getting better and better and better. Yep. Their skill sets are wider. Um, the Australians are better. You know, we're getting guys coming back that aren't playing in Europe that are coming to play here. You know, that's, that's a statement, mm. you know that's a big statement for the league to have guys that say, well, I'm going to come back to Australian play there. Cause I'm going to get paid. Well, I'm going to get looked after the quality of life, the lifestyle itself and the level of play can actually project me into where I want to go. Yeah. Whether it's high level Euro league teams or whether it is the NBA, mm. we have the choice now and we have a pathway to do that. I think what Larry, what Jeremy, what all the guys that have actually put into this league, we're getting, we're like us as players are reaping the benefits of it because we're getting rewarded with opportunities, you know, whether it be locally or whether it be abroad. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty surreal as well. When I, when I think about for you, because every child in this country that plays basketball and takes it somewhat seriously, has a dream of playing in the NBA. And you're one of the few people that can say that they've done that in and across the country and in, and particularly in the NBL. Uh, and I do want to speak about this experience because I've watched a bit about um, what was documented on your on your journey around that. And I know it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I've played in the NBA now. But you went through hell and back to get yourself on a roster and, and you know, showed that sort of true Aussie grit and determination to, to fight through the G League and through those sort of trial um, opportunities that you had. Can you speak us through what that whole experience like was for you, that whole journey over overseas? Yeah, I mean, I left Adelaide and there was a bit of a saga there. Uh, that finished and I was going to go to re-sign in Germany again. Uh, yeah. I was going to go to Würzburg. I'd actually signed my contract. And then there was obviously the issue there with where I was playing, um, you know, with the Sixers. But then once that got cleared up, we're like, cool, we're off to Germany in a week's time. How sick is this going to be? Season, you know, overseas in Europe. Awesome. Then we get a call a few days later and it's like, hey, you want to bring you into minicamp uh, with the Brooklyn Nets? Well, what does that mean? Oh, 
It doesn't really mean anything. You can get paid anywhere between fifteen and fifty thousand dollars for for mini camp, and then if you don't make it, you get basically it's about twenty eight thousand for the remainder of the six months okay. to play in the G League. So okay. not a lot going on there. Yeah. Like compared to what you could make over overseas, you can make thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month wow. playing over in Europe. Now I was like, I have that idea. That's really good. I've signed this, but I can also go and play potentially and train with an NBA team, but you kind of make donuts, but at the same time experience for me and the opportunity to be in front of the right people at the right time. Uh, you know, the guys at mogul sports who look after me, giant Marquise, I've always listened to them, whatever they say goes for yeah, me. Yeah. Where do I play? Or oh, this is what we think's best for you. Okay. Done. I've That's never awesome. questioned it. That's awesome. They said, let's go, let's go to Brooklyn and let's see what happens. Now I got four weeks through camp and then I had an adductor strain. In warm-ups, just kind of popped it. It was going to be out for about two, three weeks. So I missed the last bit of camp. Now, I got all the way through camp pretty much, and other guys got cut. There was two of us who got left in there. And the other guy was, wow. I think, Jordan McLaughlin. And Jordan now plays for Minnesota Timberwolves. Crazy. You know, so he's been signed there. So he's a great, great player that I got to play with, you know, along the journey, which was fantastic. Now, that goes all the way through. You don't, you don't make the team. So you go play G League. Uh -huh. So you have a preseason. Now, you got to remember, New York winter... Yeah. Friggin' sucks, man. <laughs> I hate the cold and that yeah. shit sucked. Um, but then you're playing between Long Island, which was the Long Island Nets, and then doing stuff with Brooklyn. Okay. So there's an hour and a half commute. You know, that's a long commute sitting in traffic. Now, there were days where you would go and train with Long Island at 8, 9 in the morning. You'd finish at 11. You'd get in a car. You'd drive all the way to Brooklyn and you'd go and work out with the guys that were injured to get them back healthy. Then you drive all the way back home and then you go to the gym or you do whatever you had to do, your rehab. You wake up the next morning, you do it all again. Wow. I went through four or five months of playing really good basketball, playing a great role, doing all the right things. I left almost at the end of my tenure there. I almost left and went back to Germany. I was like, I'm not getting picked up. The windows for 10 days are closing. I don't know if I'm actually going to make it. Mm. We had serious conversations and spoke to teams and we're like, hey, this is where we're at. We spoke to Brooklyn and we spoke to Long Island and said, you know, financially, we need to make decisions because you've got really good opportunities. And if this window is not really looking like it's going to stay open, we're going to have to take our opportunities elsewhere. It's no pressure. It's just a, an honest opinion of we can go and do something really special for four or five months and try and elevate ourselves into maybe a top four or five team in the BBL in Germany or maybe in EuroLeague. Mm. So that was there. And it was like, what are we going to do? You know, I got a call at like 10 o'clock at night from my head coach, Will Weaver at the time. Now, Will and I have got a great relationship from the Australian Boomers program. And he basically called me and just said, you know, this is a Sunday night. We're about to go on a, I think, 13-day West Coast swing and play like 11 games or something like that over two weeks. And he calls me. He's like, hey, mate, look, you've been picked up. Pack your, like, unpack your bags. You're playing with Brooklyn tomorrow night. You get to sign to a 10-day. I'm the, I'm the guy that gets to tell you first, not the GM. That's so I, crazy. I'm sitting in bed at 10 o'clock at night you know, basically stark is packing my bag. Like what shoes do I take? How many jumpers do I need? How cold is it going to be <laughs> thinking about, you know, we're going to have some beers after one of the games. Like this is going to be sick, like West coast. And then it's like, well, you're playing in the NBA tomorrow. You play against New York Wild. and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, gangster. Like this is crazy. I instantly got on the phone straight away, called my family, bawling my eyes out. Um, the GM called me minutes later and I was like, I gotta get off the phone. He's going to call me. 
I didn't know this and I think you can find it with the Brooklyn stuff online and some of the videos about it, but they recorded me on the phone and I'm sobbing like yeah, a... Yeah, I was about to say you're sobbing, crying. I've seen sobbing it, my ass We're going to add that clip in, dude, yeah, for sick. sure. Thanks, mate. So <laughs> How are you feeling? Good. Good. Calling you with some good news, letting you know the coaches decided to that they, we need a player for a 10-day starting on Friday and they've, they've chosen you, so get ready to suit up for the Brooklyn Nets on Friday, buddy. You're sobbing your way through a conversation, getting picked up, and then you get to play in your 10 days. Now, the very first day, they're like, you're not going to play the first game. Just chill out. It's all good. Well, Rondé Hollins-Jefferson goes in for a foul, gets fouled, hurts his shoulder. So what happens there as an injured player from our team gets fouled and goes off with an injury, the opposing team's coach gets to select who shoots the foul shots, willing, knowing well and true that I was just signed to a 10-day, <laughs> shitting myself, knowing I wasn't going to play, and he picked me. So I looked down the bench, and I'm like, yeah, you know, right hot, whatever, going crazy, having a great time, looking around, not paying any attention to thinking about playing. And Kenny Atkinson pointed at me, he's like, come on, you're in. You're and I was like, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I had my rip-away pants. I nearly fell off. Like, I nearly fell over, sorry. Um, trying to take my jersey off, put my mouth guard in, do everything. And I, had, I actually wasn't 100% aware of what I had to be doing at the time. I knew I had to shoot foul shots. And I didn't know if Kenny just chose me to be in and to try and give me a gimme point to, you know, make me feel better about maybe starting or playing, <laughs> playing in the NBA. And I made one of two. I missed my first one really badly. I couldn't feel my legs, my arms, my hands, nothing. I was shaking. I felt sick. Like I was so nervous. It just was, I've never felt that in my life until I walked out and I was like actually shivering and shaking. I made that. And then the rest is history. I played the next night against Boston Celtics at TD Garden, you know, court where Michael Jordan and Larry Bird used to play each other to be on that court as an NBA player. That actual memory itself was enough for me to, you know, <laughs> to, yeah, that, that is so unbelievably cool. The fact that I got to run on the same hardwood as those guys did. Yeah. It, it's so surreal, um, to play against the MVP and Giannis and to have, you know, a pretty decent stat line to guard him for multiple possessions in a year where he was so dominant to play against those guys and to watch them up close is, is, is so amazing. That all finished up, went back to the G league. Then I went to Minnesota and then got signed there. I didn't play any games there until the last two minutes of my last game, but you know, I did everything I could. I, I wove towers. I, you know, you fill drink bottles, you, you high five, you talk to guys, you be energy. And that was my role. So um, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Uh, you know, my job's not done. I still want to get back there. That's the whole goal. Uh, that's why I get up every single day, that and the Olympic dream. But then you've got to understand that, you know, it may not happen, but you've got to apply yourself every day to that dream until that dream's no more. But right now, uh, we're waiting for COVID to, to kindly piss off <laughs> so we can travel and then hopefully that opportunity will open up. But yeah, mate, to, to say it was incredible would be an absolute, you know, insult to the whole you know, story itself. And that's just the good parts. Yeah. You know, there's a whole, for all the good, there's twice as much bad that goes on, but you remember the good stuff because that's what makes you feel so alive and gives you the passion to keep doing it every day. But they don't understand that you sit there at night and you might be on the phone to your family in tears. Like I want to come home. Mm. Like I'm not, I don't really have friends outside of this. Like I don't know anyone. We're traveling so much. I'm injured. You know, I'm not happy. You know, I'm being told one thing, but something else is actually going on behind the scenes. No one sees that. No one knows how much you struggle before you get your success. No one knows that the bright lights only come on for one night a week. 
or for two or three nights a week. They don't understand the 6 a.m. wake-ups and the, the training sessions back-to-back and the injuries and the setbacks. People don't get that. Yeah. And unless you're in the position, you don't really truly appreciate it either. So when you're there, you have to maximize your opportunities because they don't come very often. And even then, you think you deserve it. You don't deserve it. Mm. That's the biggest misconception is because I work hard and I do it the right way, I deserve it. That's bullshit. Yeah. You don't deserve anything. You work your ass off and you put yourself in a position of chance. Yeah. You either get the opportunity or you don't. And then you either take that opportunity and run with it and use it for all it's got and you milk it until it's bone dry. Mm. And then maybe they give you another one. And if they don't, well, stiff titties. Yeah, Go yeah. home, work your ass off and get yourself in a position to get a chance again. And that's the only thing I try and do right now is for myself, my teammates, my coaching staff, and my friends, my general life, business, relationships. That's all it is, is trying to, how can you maximize and have, you know, a fulfilled, happy life with everything you do? And I take a lot of that from sport and my learnings there and try and apply it in everything else I do. Man, that's, that's beautifully said. And this is one of the things that I wanted to touch on with you because not knowing you completely well personally, but knowing you from afar and obviously knowing Gibbo, who you live with, I I know that you're quite detailed in your approach to basketball and and you are a big sort of believer in not just obviously maximizing your ability, but from a a mindfulness point of view and, and how you sort of work with the mind, because being an athlete, you touched on as some people will know, but most maybe not, it, it can be really lonely. Like it can be a really lonely period, despite you being in the spotlight and under scrutiny. And it's seeming like a privilege, which it is. There are periods where like you, you can't be a normal human being. So can, can you speak to me about, I guess, your approach to basketball, your detail, and, and I guess the mindset sort of focus that you have that enables you to be as successful as you are? It starts off as the fishbowl effect. You're the fish in a little fishbowl and everyone in the room walks around and taps on the, on the glass and everyone can tap on the glass and knock on it and who's the fish. And <laughs> that's what it feels like at times. You're yeah. that fish in a bowl and you can't do anything. You're just swimming around. And anytime you say something back or you, you know, you have an action towards anyone or anything, you get scrutinized for that. Public perception, trial by media is the most hard thing to overcome nowadays, no matter what you do. So when you're in that position and you're trying to do the right thing and you upset one person, sometimes that snowballs into a hundred other people or a thousand or 10,000. But nowadays the mindset of how everything goes ahead is like, how, what do I need to be happy? What do I need to be, you know, healthy? What do I need to be as a lead as possible to give myself success? Yeah. Now success is, is what you determine it to be. Mm-hmm. Some people is it, it's monetary. Some people it's happiness. Some people it's winning. Mm-hmm. Some people it's just competing or saying, you know what? I don't really love basketball, but I, I get to play it and it's, I get paid. So it's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. I love basketball. I love competing. I love watching my family be proud. Those are the things that I try and rely on most when I'm trying to draw from experience, you know, in those moments is why am I here? What am I really doing this for? You know, what am I sacrificing and what's the end goal? So everything I do now, my mindset and my approach to being an elite athlete in every way that may come across to whoever it is that listens, you need to find out your reasons why you want to do it for a start. Yeah. You know, what brought you here? What's your why? Yeah. What's your why? It sounds super cliche and yeah. silly, Yeah. but if you don't have a good reason to play, you're not going to be able to draw on whatever it is to dig deep and to sacrifice or to push through, you know, a torn Achilles or 
you know, two torn discs in your back. Yeah. You're not going to push through that. Yeah. You put your hand up and say, it's a bit too hard today. You know, I'm just, just going to take a day off. Yeah. So you're right. It, it's, it's sometimes a super lonely thing. Yeah. But, but what is it? Yeah. You can always call someone. You can call your, your sister, you know, your, your brothers, your family, you know, whoever it is. You can always reach out. Yeah. You can't see them face to face, physically touch them and give them a hug. But you can be there for each other. Once you understand what it is you're trying to do, why it is you're trying to do it, and what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Mm. You're the same. You've sacrificed things people would never know. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Everyone's got their own story. No one's is more important or less important than anyone else's. Mm. But it's your story. Yeah. If you don't want to tell it, don't tell it. If you think someone else can benefit from it, then share it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, mate, I, I look at it and I just say, what am I, what am I really doing this for? What am I willing to sacrifice to get to my goal? And then once my basketball career is done, what am I trying to do? I've got to think about that now as well. So it's a big pond we're swimming in. And sometimes we don't get to do the things we want to do right now. And sometimes we lose a lot of years and you look back and you go, was it worth it? Well, it depends. What's your why? Why are you really doing this? What's the, what's the thing you want most? Yeah. I've figured that out. I know that. So I think that's why I'm in a position I am now. And then I'm going to continue to push forward because I know exactly why I'm doing it. Yeah. When you talk about what's your why, like, and, and it's great that you shared that. And I think your why makes so much sense and I can understand how that drives you, but you are quite sh- strong mentally. Do you work on like your mental aspect or is that just something that's come with time and the rigors of what your experiences are? Or do you actually give time and energy to like, you know, maximizing your, your sort of brain power to affect you your basketball? Definitely put in a lot of time and effort. Um, I worked with, uh, someone for quite a few years now, uh, by the name of Dean Evans, um, you know, he's been someone that's been an absolute superstar in helping me understand myself first, my issues that I had, you know, personally, family, relationship, whatever it might be. He helped me understand all those things so I could overcome myself before I could tackle anything else. Mm. And a lot of people, you know, trauma is something that people overlook. Correct. Um, you know, I understand my body very well. I treat it. Not always as a template, it, it should be, <laughs> but, but I definitely do treat it with respect and I know what I can, you know, how I can push it. You know, I know what I can and can't do. So when I look at my mind, I understand that my mind's the, the strongest thing that's going to help my body move forward at all times. Understanding that I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to, you know, say the wrong things. I'm going to perform, you know, the wrong way or do something that's, that's not to how I want to try and see myself performing. But I understand that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to learn from them. And I'm going to take that. And I'm going to, well, how can I get past this? What's this next obstacle? I can call up, you know, Dean or whoever it is and and people I work with and say, what's something I can, I can really look at this. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm I'm thinking. Now it might be performance related. It might be, you know, something in my, my personal life. But normally I'll call him, speak to him on the phone. And the one thing that that I might write three or four things down, I might talk about, those three or four things for 15 seconds mm. and then talk about this yellow duck for the next 45. Yeah. And I'm like, where the, where the hell did this duck come from? Yeah, Why yeah. am I talking about a duck? Yeah. You just never know. You're like, all of a sudden you think it's one thing and then yeah. it's, it's completely different. Others, yeah. you, don't, you don't understand what it is until you're talking about it. And then you realize, holy shit, I've been neglecting the most obvious thing. Yeah. For me, nearly 10 years went by and there was something I held on to in my life, two or three things. 
And it held me back for so long. Mm. I was so self-conscious. Mm. And a lot of people would think, oh, you know, you seem pretty outgoing and the things you do in your outside life is pretty crazy. It's pretty cool and pretty razzy. But for so long, I was so uncomfortable with myself because I held on to a few things. Mm. And one day I dealt with it and I talked about it and I actually opened up a can of worms that was so far pressed somewhere. I didn't even know it was on my, in my body. Wow. And I, I let that go. And I had conversations with certain people in my life. And, and that was the turning point for me where my career, like in my opinion, took off. Yeah. I let a lot of my stress go and my carefree. I stopped worrying about what anyone said. I didn't give a shit who you were or what you had to say to me. If you weren't in my circle of trust, it, it was irrelevant. Yeah. I would take it on board. Yep. No worries. Cool. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your input. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I was just like, can you shut up? Cause <laughs> I don't actually trust you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I trust those who are in my circle and that's it. Yeah. And when, when they spoke to me and when they gave my information, my coaches or whoever it is, or my circle, people that I had to be very involved with, that's when I listened and I was really taking it on board going, okay, you see me every day. You know what I'm doing every day. The person that sees you once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, you know, once every, you yeah. know, Blue moon. it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't yeah. matter what anyone thinks or what they have to say about you. It's bullshit. Mm. they're saying it for what are they the professional are they paying you millions of dollars are they paying you like to do something are they employing you to do it no so you don't have to listen to them people yeah. get so stuck on keyboard warriors and what people have to say and analysts and all that's nothing yeah. an analyst gets paid to look at you and to to make an opinion good or bad why do people worry about something that doesn't have to directly affect them if you don't hear what he says does it affect you yeah well, no, because you've never heard it. Yeah, that's So right. if you do hear it, why does it still have to bother you? It's like the modern day athlete. You've got to be good at that because so many people will have an opinion and so many people have access to you now with social media and other forms that if you don't pick and choose who to let in and block out, you're, you're going to be fucked. <laughs> and that's the fishbowl effect. Yeah. We're the fish and they're tapping on the glass. Yeah. You suck. You can't do this. The commentator says, oh, you know, he needs to be doing this, this and this. Your girlfriend's like, oh, you need to shoot the ball more. You need to be more aggressive. <laughs> No, you, <laughs> no offense, but you need to shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I need to go and focus on what my coaches need me to do, and my team needs me to do, yeah. and my family, my circle. That's that's what's important. Yeah. So, understanding that balance is key to performance, and it's something I've got a great grip of now. It don't let anything affect me. My my performance is completely separate to what anyone has to say, uh, and I think a lot of people need to try and learn from that. It's hard, but I can recommend if you speak to a professional a sports psych, whoever, even if you want to look up Dean Evans, look up Dean Evans, you know, he is a, an absolute guru, someone that I, I rest heavily and invest a lot of time and effort into because he's helped me so much. So if it's something you want to try and actually learn from, uh, I, re I really do recommend reaching out to me and I'll pass on information or reach out to him directly. Just make sure you get the right one. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Dean Evans, man. You know, credit to you though, because I think you're in a minority there and I think it's really important um, one thing I, even though I sort of stopped playing at a high level quite young, one thing I never looked at and gave enough credit to was the mental aspect of like just the general well-being and care from a mental point of view to allow me to be free on the soccer field. And I think that's a credit to you that you've invested time and energy into that. And you can articulate now the benefits to some of the listeners out there that are probably interested in why that's important, not just for athletes, but for anyone in general. Um, and, and it's funny, I, we were speaking before and, um, before we jumped on air and like you are very balanced, I feel from being an elite basketball or an elite athlete to still living a pretty cool and fun life and, and still having, 
you know, doing, I would say normal things, but they're not normal. <laughs> but I did catch a clip of you the other day, jumping out of a plane. We are mid season people as well. Jumping out of a plane. I'm like, Oh, who's he jumping with? And there was no one. You just jumped out of a plane on your own and mm. skydiving. So yeah. you are a bit of an outdoors man as well. And, and is that Forward outdoors? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the air. <laughs> Ups, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so, so like, can you explain a little bit about you off the, off the court for those that don't know you and some of your interests? Um, pretty simply put, I love being outside. I love being active and doing stuff with my hands and being in a position of not control, but my life is in my own hands. You know, how I do things is, is up to me. I don't really like putting that in other people's, you know, hands, I guess you call yep, it. Yep. Uh, some of the things that I love most, cars, motorbikes, skydiving, and then just being with my friends, doing things, camping, grew, grew up in the country. So that country's me. So when people look at it and go, oh, you sh shouldn't ride motorbikes, you're like, cool. <laughs> well, I've got like three or four, so <laughs> yeah. sorry. <laughs> like I, I've, I've always been someone that's, that's wanted to have, you know, a cool vintage car, like, you know, a nice car to cruise around in. I've worked so hard and I, I didn't come from much. Our family didn't come from really much at all. Hmm. Um, you know, my dad's retired right now and, and kind of just relaxing. I'm in a position now where I can kind of take care of my family and do things that I've wanted to do for a very long time. That's beautiful. Once I took care and got a few things sorted, I had the ability to say, what do you want? And I was like, I want to learn a skydive. And I, I got a, a skydive ticket from my mum when I was like 14. And I did a tandem then and fell in love straight away. Did a few around the world when I traveled. And then one day I did one and I was like, I'm going to go do solo. I'm going to learn. So when I was, I got picked up in the NBA by Minnesota, I would train till about one o'clock, one thirty. I go and eat shower and then I'd get in the car, drive half an hour East. And then I'd go to the skydive center at Baldwin uh, in Wisconsin. And I would actually go and, and skydive all afternoon. What? Um, <laughs> So it was That's actually pretty insane. crazy. So I got did my Minnesota know about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They did. Um, <laughs> so it kind of started there and then it came over here. I, I was doing jumps here. I've been jumping throughout the season. Uh, I get a day off. I check the cloud coverage, you know, winds, um, you know, weather, stuff like that. I look at the report, you know, you, it's just like surfing really, but you're just a bit higher up. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So slightly more risk. I go with a mate of mine, Matt Hancock, shout out Matty. Um, you know, we go out and as soon as we got some time, hey man, you're free today. Got really good weather. Winds are low. Clouds are great. We're good. Let's jump. It's wow, like sick. Man. Jump in the car. Uh, Nagambi, Turidan, uh, Torquay, Bells Beach. Like, um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to be able to do that. Um, but as I said, there's other things I do. Like I love motorbikes. I got a couple of road bikes, dirt bike, um, you know, sponsorship with Harley Davidson Australia, which is unreal. So they give me bikes. Um, yeah, I've got an old 1969 uh, Pontiac Firebird, which I'm, I'm doing up at the moment. So uh, that's pretty much done. It's at uh, getting all the audio and all the cool stuff done now, all oh, the visual. So, so fat audio concepts. Um, <laughs> you guys hurry up because yeah. I want to I wanna drive her. Um, that's, that's amazing. But man. Just, just love, as I said earlier, I dropped out of school in year 10 to do mechanical engineering. Um, and that's something that I've had a big passion in. I'd love to one day be able to get back in that field, learn a lot more be able to do rebuilds, custom stuff, you know, maybe open a shop one day. I'd love to go and do an apprenticeship and, and just yeah. start from the bottom and be like, cool, what are we doing? Wow. Put some other business stuff, you know, in a few piles and say, let that take care of itself. So there's an income coming in for me. And with that time that I have and not having to go and work a nine to five or to do a job or to start a business from scratch, already have that going, which I do now. That gives me time to go and work on something that I really find, you know, my heart and soul in and 
and something that I really appreciate. So I think cars and bikes is going to be one thing when I retire that I'll probably get into pretty heavily. There you go, people. The, the Mitch Creek off the court is something else. <laughs> He's something on the court, but off the court, I tell you what, a very interesting man. And it's funny because you probably the 99% of people would rather shoot a free throw playing for the Brooklyn Nets against the New York Knicks and feel more confident doing that than skydiving. But I've got a feeling that you have some confidence in skydiving, that they both are kind of the same kind of filter of experience for you, which is pretty unique, man. Yeah, it is. And look, people go, that's insane. That's crazy. For me, it's the most peaceful, calming thing with those activities I do. You know, riding race bikes or drag bikes or dirt bikes or skydiving or doing other outdoor activities. It's up to you. All the control is in your hands. I have to be the one that knows all the emergency safety procedures, what goes wrong, what can go. But again, by the time you know all that, it's safe. Like you jump out of a plane, you pull your chute, you land, stand up and you run it out and that's it. It's so peaceful and it's so relaxing. If you've seen it on my Instagram, oh, I have. Um, you can see like how chill we are. We're playing rock, paper, scissors on the way down, like having a great time, having a laugh. Um, it's something that I wish everyone could experience. I'm going to try and do a thing. Actually, Can you take me? Like, can I, can I go? I can't take you personally. But no. like I can jump with someone yeah, whilst you're doing 100%. it. 100%. And that's what I want to actually try and do is actually offer like a day where oh, we go man. out there with maybe a few fans or some people that want to go and take them. And I'll be like, see ya. And I'll roll out the door or something with a friend. And, and Phoenix fans, come on, get on this train. <laughs> this is so what you want to do. See. Let us know. We'll talk to the Phoenix and see if we can tee <laughs> yeah. something up with the Gamby. We're going for a chip at the Phoenix because I am a Southeast Melbourne boy, so I, I am a fan, but we're also going to jump out of a plane in this yeah, creek yeah, too. Um, Creaky, bro, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I guess my sort of final comment is, um, you know, you, you are a star of the NBL. You're putting some some superstars in the NBL on, on the map and, and the way you play every night is, I'm, I'm quite, you know, admirable of that, being an athlete, knowing how hard it is. Yeah, one, having ability and pushing... Um, to, to be a hardworking player every day and, and on that grind, but actually being able to perform at the highest level every night is not easy to do. And that's probably for me, the difference between the good and the great is the ones that can keep that consistency, man. So shout out to you, man. And I'm um, hoping, hoping we get to see you kill it this year and back in the NBA one day. That'll be, that'll be the dream for us all. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. It's been an awesome time, brother. Thanks, bro. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.